two kinds of kingdoms are on full display in these verses. These are such foundational verses to our lives, to what we would call the historic uh, Christian faith as it has been handed down over generations. We often wonder, what is God's purpose for our lives? What is his plan for his people As we continue to take step after step in this series, we continue to see God's desire to fill the earth with his glory and and how that impacts us. So I want to start today with a challenging question. If the United States of America was no longer a country, would your view of Christianity still be the same? I realize that's a very difficult and a very challenging question. I'm not claiming to be prophetic or making any predictions. I'm presenting you with a hypothetical. Let me say it again. If the United States was no longer a country, would your view of Christianity still be the same? I want us to understand today God's view of kingdom and power. Those words are on the page in Acts chapter 1. In order to see God's view, I want to contrast it with the way the disciples were continuing to to experience those two themes. So uh, first today, our first uh, Roman numeral on the outline is the human view of kingdom. And I'm not going to stay here uh, very long. What had just happened before the disciples asked this question in verse 6 is uh, that they had been told to wait. They've been told to wait. The Holy Spirit will baptize them not many days from now. It's the exact language uh, that is in there. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they were told to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit uh, to come. They probably didn't fully understand what that was going to be. And so they say, uh, when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the human view of kingdom, the first thing we can say about it is it involves earthly power. That is what is behind the question. Lord, are you going to finally make the nation of Israel front and center for the world to see? Are we going to be able to conquer our enemies? Are we going to be able to have peace in the land? It involves, when we think of that type of kingdom in that sense, it involves earthly power. And who could fault them? All throughout the history of the people of Israel, the promises had been not only for power but for land, God would give them land where they would settle. We go back to Abraham and what God did through him and reaffirming the promises that he had made to him. Uh, We see God empowering Moses and uh, Moses' leadership contrasted with uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. You think about earthly power and how how God was using Moses uh, contrasting with uh, what the Pharaoh was doing in the people of Egypt. They always seemed to focus on the earthly power. There were times and seasons when there was repentance and there was great honoring of the Lord in the land, but as uh, the the pages of the New Testament continue to unfold, those seemed to become less and less. 
And so while we might applaud them at times for uh, supporting earthly leadership that seemed to be following God, uh, often in the Old Testament that wasn't the case. And so even after Jesus' three years of ministry, here they are wondering, is Jesus the guy to do it? Is he going to do it right then? Now, we would applaud them, these disciples, for saying, all right, we recognize that Jesus is such an authority figure. He has authority over death. He's risen from the dead. He spent six weeks on this earth ministering as a resurrected human being, and they're recognizing the power of God. And so it's not completely irrational to ask, is this the time? But they were still focused on earthly power. And they were focused, second, on the here and now. Earthly kingdoms are here and now. We don't know anything but earthly rule that is designed for here and now. There's different systems of government, of course, in place throughout the world. But humans and authority and territories, as far as structured authority goes, earthly governments are all we know. And resolving that tension between people who need to be organized and governed and those who are doing the govern and all the trappings that come with that, resolving that tension is very, very difficult. It's seen throughout history. And people throughout history are going to agree with that. We know the here. And we know the now. Have you paid attention in the presidential campaigning for this year? Has anybody... Or will anybody begin to run on a platform of uh, what is going to happen in 2036? <laughs> it's not going to get them elected. What gets elected is here and now. This is our earthly view of authority and kingdom. We know that earthly governments and earthly authority is imperfect, and that creates tension. It's not perfect by its nature, and it never will be. Now, for those of us with a biblical framework, hallelujah, we know there is a perfect ruler. We know that he will return and come. Whenever we see shortcomings, whenever we say, see things in our world that aren't perfect, it reminds us that there is one outside who is perfect and who knows. And in this case, it reminds us of Jesus who will come. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So what is God's plan for God's people? Is it to take over the whole world in governments? It doesn't seem to be that. Jesus teaches something different. I don't mean to diminish the need for good and healthy government. But the way that God wants to fill the earth with his glory, the way that God's kingdom spreads is different than what we experience in power and authority and here and now structures in our world. So that's the human view of kingdom. Let's look and spend the rest of our time this morning at the kingdom according to God. The kingdom according to God, we are told, is not coming here and now. We are told to wait. His disciples were told to wait for the kingdom to come. <laughs> wait 
for God's earthly kingdom to come. There is a plan for the kingdom of God to be established on this earth. It is a future time called the millennium. It will last for a thousand years and Jesus will be the ruler. It will be unlike any other time in the history of the world. But it is not a kingdom that is to be taken by force. They are told to wait. There is a plan and the number one item on that plan execution list is take the power and the knowledge and the details away from the people serving underneath that plan and challenge them to trust and walk in faith that's the first item on the executing God's plan for kingdom is take away any sense that they would have of being in power and control of all of it take that away challenge them to walk in faith and wait for the kingdom of God to come on earth that sounds cruel doesn't it You can't have it right now. You don't know when it's going to come. And so you have to wait. It's not cruel. It's God. It's him asserting his authority over us as king and asking us to walk in faith. It's why complete repentance and surrender are so important in understanding faith in Jesus Christ. Do I want you to be forgiven of your sins? Yes. Do I want you to have a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ who came to die and pay for those sins? You bet I do. I want you to trust that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven of your sin and to have a relationship with God. To trust that he was killed, that he took our penalty. He made the payment for us, substituted himself where we should have been punished. And he was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, just as he predicted, he rose from the dead in great power and great glory. I want you to believe those things. But I want you to see them as more than an individual choice. I don't have this one up on the screen. But what comes racing to mind is Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, or 14 and 15. I'll read both. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When we repent, when we give up our control, when we give up any entitlement that we have, uh, any power over our own lives, any thought that some deed that we have done would earn us a spot in heaven compared to somebody else, any of those things, we have to chuck all of it. We have to leave all of it in our past and we have to come in complete faith and turn away from our ways and say, God, I want your ways to be mine. I can't get into heaven on my own. I can't earn forgiveness on my own. I have to trust completely in you. And that's what that word repent means. It's a change of mind. It's a complete emptying and a deprogramming, a deconstruction of the way that I want to do it. And I have to come into the word of God and say, I want you to fill that void that is now created because I need a new authority. I need a new way. And I want to be with you. It's an individual choice that we must make. But don't lose the language. It's how we join the kingdom of God. Repent and believe. For why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. This is how we begin to understand authority and structure in our lives. Is that when we come and we have a relationship with God, we completely lose all of our authority. We give it up and we say, I am now under his authority. That's the kingdom according to God. He's the ruler, and we have to wait 
for the time in the future when, when some of those things are going to come to bear on earth. That means all kinds of things are going to happen that we don't understand. Now, God gives us clues. Jesus gave us clues about what it will be like. Uh, we think that we are living in <coughs> excuse me, really dark times right now. And there are some signs that are starting to, to point toward Jesus' return. But we can't know for sure. And so we have to walk in faith and hope and expectation. Look what happened. After he had said these things, verse 9, and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, wouldn't that be amazing? This guy that has been alive as a resurrected body for six weeks in front of you just raises into the clouds. And sure, I'd be standing there gazing too. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes, God still communicating, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they're given a promise. Jesus will come. He will return in the same way they saw him go up. He will come back down to this earth. But we have to wait. Why do we stand here? I didn't skip over verse 8 on purpose. I want to end with verse 8. Instead of seeking power in the earthly sense of wanting to snuff out all of our enemies or, or be in control, I want us to look and to see how God works. All right, the option then is, is this. Instead, desire and trust God's spirit working. If you don't know much about the Holy Spirit, I want to introduce you to a couple things about him. If you believe truly in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Can't get rid of him. You might try. You might say, I don't want to listen to you today. I want to do my own thing. And there are ways that I'll get, I'll get back to this in a minute. But the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And what the Holy Spirit does is he unifies believers. So we have some scripture up here from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that I want you to see. Verses 11 through 13. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And this is talking about gifts. Right? Things that we're able to do because uh, we're saved by the grace of God through Jesus, and the Spirit fills us and gives us gifts to use for His glory. These are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. The Spirit is a unifier, always empowered by one and the same Spirit that lives within us. Let's see the next screen. I thought there was a little more. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Races, economic backgrounds, all together under the same Spirit, unified in belief in Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit's work. Now, another thing about the Holy Spirit is we want the Holy Spirit to fill us. It says, do not, be, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a command that Paul gives. 
in Ephesians chapter 5, which is specifically about the overuse of alcohol, but also challenges us that there's nothing that should control us except the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So I want to use this to contrast all the way back to our first point today about the human kingdom. How is the kingdom of God built now, August 2020 and beyond, if Jesus isn't going to come and rule on this earth for us? He told them to wait. And he gave them the answer, but you will receive power. Don't miss that. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have power. How do we get it? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. The goal of God working in us and for the kingdom to spread, God's plan for God's people is for us to have the Holy Spirit living and working in us, and that we would be witnesses. Now, I want us to compare Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And let's compare that to Acts 1.8, which says, You will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's nowhere where they wouldn't be witnesses. Some would stay in Jerusalem, and witness there, others, as persecution hit, would scatter out. And we see that continue to happen in the book of Acts. Now, I've been confronting you in this series with a number of statistics. <coughs> Excuse me, one of those statistics is that about 90% of people who acknowledge having a relationship with Jesus Christ do not share their faith with anybody else. Now, how can we square 90% of people not sharing their faith with Acts 1.8 that says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses? How do we square that? Where God says this is what is supposed to happen, and in reality, in America and in Western culture, people who are saying they're Christians, 90% of them don't do exactly what God's plan is. How do we square that? I want us to be challenged. The Bible does give us pictures where the spirit is grieved. We do have some choice in the matter. And this is where we have to beware of sin that is in our lives. Where we may spend so much time being distracted that we can't get our minds around what it takes to share our faith with somebody else. Perhaps we're prayerless. Perhaps we have a really low view of ourselves and we've allowed Satan to tell us lies that we're filthy and we're dirty and God can never use us. Perhaps it's just straight up apathy and laziness. Perhaps there's deep-rooted sin and we find pornography or we find immorality or we find alcohol or whatever it happens to be way more attractive than going and doing what we're doing. All of these things get in the way of us fulfilling God's purposes for our lives. 
I read something really interesting in studying for this. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Is that a command or is that a prophecy? Is it a prediction that Jesus says this is what's going to happen or is it a command that you better go out and, and be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come? Not an either or. Very encouraging to me that it's both. Because why? If somebody tells me, Kevin, I am just as susceptible as anybody else. I'm going to go back and Satan is going to try to get me to think of all my failures and everything that's wrong with me and every reason that I shouldn't go share the gospel. He's going to remind me of all those things that I used to do or all the ways that I treated people or all the things that I said or all the things that I did. That's what he's going to do. He's going to try to keep me from doing that. And I'm going to have this battle. Of, oh, I don't really want to do it. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be told no. I don't want to be told any of that. All right. And so if we get into that mindset, anybody else relate to that? Okay, anybody else relate to any of it? Yes. Sometimes we just feel infirm. We don't feel qualified. But that's where the prophecy part comes in. It's so exciting. It says he will. That means he loves us and he cares for us and he has a plan for us. And it's not about us. It's about him. And he can use us and he will use us. That's where I get excited and that's where I want you to be encouraged. You might go, oh, I don't want to be a part of a group. I don't want to learn one more thing about how to share the gospel. No. The first practical step is to, is to come back from this and just step and say, God, can I just pray? Can you wait? Spend some time just waiting on God and praying and say, Lord, where would you lead me? How would you have me to take some first steps? Begin to perhaps pray for someone specific. I want to give you some practical things. But if you're thinking about sharing your faith, you're thinking about how to do that, step back from it and just pray. Say, Lord, I want to confront anything that anything that is keeping me from being obedient to you. I want you to give me a heart for lost people. Perhaps confess some of those sins or confess some of those attitudes that you have developed. Lay them out and ask Jesus to change them. We need to pray. And we need to ask God to empower our lives as we witness for him. The goal is the spread of God's kingdom everywhere. I'm glad 1.8 says Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria. Some of us are going to be really effective. I'll keep reminding you there are 180,000 lost people in Akron by our best guess in looking at numbers. There is plenty of work to do in Jerusalem, friends. Missions isn't just for people who go all over the place to different parts of the nation or the world. It's for us as well. It's both. It's not either or. We don't have to pit against each other and say that we love first glance and therefore we can't love somebody who's ministering on the other side of Asia. We, we, we have to be able to say both. And we see it in the Great Commission that we looked at last week and we see it in the book of Acts. I want to challenge you to be a part of a group. I want to challenge you to say, hey, I'll, I'll do that. I don't know when they're all going to meet yet. We'll figure all that out once we know who's interested. I want to challenge you. If the Spirit is stirring you, say, hey, I would like to get some training on how to share my faith, how to begin to pray through this, and to see how the Lord might open some doors in my life. I will tell you, I am not an expert. I have been learning a lot about this stuff over the past several weeks and months. And to God be the glory, some doors are starting to open. I want to continue to share and challenge and encourage And in the future, uh, in this series, before I wrap it up, I do want to show you some practical things that happen because Jesus said they will.